for Christ. And uh, uh, now he comes to chapter 5, and uh, he's talking about, he's been talking about how difficult it is to be a Christian when you suffer for being one. Uh, but it's vital, it's important to entrust your soul to God, keep doing what's right. Just keep on doing the right things. And so Peter is exhorting uh, uh, those in the church there. Um, and uh, we're going to look at this uh, in its, uh, I guess, typical way, but I want to uh, just give a little twist at, it at the end. I don't believe it's uh, uh, false teaching or anything like that. But uh, uh, typically, uh, we see this as exhorting the elders or pastors of the churches to shepherd the flock of God. And that's what we'll uh, do. Uh, first of all, we'll look at the shepherd's flock. And really, um, in verse 1, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness for the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. The word elders there is a Greek word, presbyteros. It's where the Presbyterians get their name, I guess. It's very similar to Presbyterian. and so, But it means senior or older. It's a plural here, so many believe that this is where they come up with a teaching of the plurality of elders. Uh, or it's a polity which is called elder rule. Um, that's not the polity of our church uh, or most independent Baptist churches. Uh, we have congregational rule polity, and decisions are brought before the congregation to be made, not by a select group of so-called elders. Uh, now here, we must be careful to rightly divide the word of truth. Just because the word elders is plural doesn't mean that a church must have a plurality uh, or more than one elder. Now, for larger churches, there perhaps is a need for more than one elder to share responsibilities, but the pastoral authority still usually comes down to the senior pastor. Now, I say that because there are three words in the New Testament that all refer to to the same office. The first word is this word elder, refers to the senior leader in the church. Uh, bishop refers to one who has the oversight, an overseer. And pastor refers to the duty of shepherd, which is really uh, the main thrust of these uh, verses here. Uh, but these terms are interchangeable, uh, but they must, uh, they just describe the different responsibilities uh, of the pastor. Now you may have noticed that the Bible often refers to uh, people as sheep. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, Ezekiel 34 31, and ye my flock, the flock of my pasture are men. And in other places we have this same reference. Uh, Psalm 78, verse 52, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 90, 95, verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture 
and the sheep of his hand. So uh, people are often referred to, uh, especially God's people, uh, are referred to as sheep, and uh, every flock needs a shepherd. And, of course, Jesus is the good shepherd. We're told in John chapters, uh, chapter 10, uh, he's the great shepherd. You find uh, in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. But he has also entrusted the job of under-shepherd to some men who we call elders, bishops, or pastors. And so the job description is clear, shepherd the flock. Secondly, that brings us to the shepherd's role. How should we shepherd the flock? Well, in verse uh, 2, he says, Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for the filthy lucre, or of a ready mind. In verse 2, we find here, taking the oversight. Uh, here's a word um, that, I mean, is episcopo, which uh, is where the Episcopalians get their their name. So it's a, uh, that's the kind of the... Uh, where that comes from, and uh, it's uh, epi means upon or over, and then skapeo is a watchman. So this verb means to look over, to observe carefully, to watch diligently over, uh, similar to the similar to the word in First Timothy chapter three, where it says the office of bishop, and of course a bishop is an overseer, one that as oversight. So a good shepherd watches over the flock. So taking oversight. Secondly, not by constraint. Notice also here that Peter says that this watching over is supposed to be voluntary, not under constraint or compulsion, which means necessary, having to be compelled. Voluntarily means to be done of one's own free will. And so if a pastor or elder is saying, well, why should I have to watch the sheep again? Why are there so many church services? I'd rather stay home. I'd rather watch TV. Then he's not going to be a good shepherd, is he? Um, in that case, he just becomes a hireling. And remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, see, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catches them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. So a hireling doesn't care about the sheep. All he cares about is a paycheck. Uh, certainly not eager to be a shepherd. It's just a job certainly not worth getting hurt over. And so uh, he'd rather run away than be a good shepherd. So first of all, it's, not, it's taking oversight, not by constraint. Thirdly, not lording. Here's another thing. We see this in verse 2. That shepherds often do is lord their position over the sheep entrusted to them. The word means to exercise dominion over. Instead of communicating to the sheep, he says, I'm here to protect and serve you. 
his example, though, says, you serve me. Uh, but the Bible tells us that it's uh, the worthless shepherd who has this attitude. Ezekiel has, uh, was told in Ezekiel 34, 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe to be the shepherds, uh, to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe the, with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. So a good shepherd is supposed to be feeding the sheep, not feeding on the sheep. All right? Uh, of course, uh, who knew this better than Peter? Remember, uh, Peter told him face to face in John 21, feed my lambs, in verse 15, which meant to nourish or provide spiritual food. In verse 16, he said, feed my sheep. That meant to shepherd or to tend or see to the needs of. And then in verse 17, he said, feed my sheep. That's really the same as verse 15, but was uh, had the idea of providing for them. And then, and as goes on in verse 3, neither have being lords over God's heritage, but being end samples, end samples to the flock. And this is that Peter says that shepherds are supposed to be end samples. You say, what is an end sample? Isn't that just... An example? Well, there are many who would say end samples just means example. And there's really no difference. Is there a difference? Some claim that they mean the same thing. And that's what your modern 21st century spelling versus the 17th century spelling. Uh, and most of your modern translations of the Bible, when they come to the word in sample, they would put example, saying, well, there's no difference, because that's what it means. Now, in sample is not a word that we often use. I don't think uh, I've used it other than in, in reading God's word or teaching it. It's really a word that's come into disuse. Most of the time, it's been replaced by example. But there's a difference, and I believe the translators knew that in giving us our King James Bible. Because you will find both words in the Scripture. You'll find example some places, and you'll find end sample in other places. I'm going to just give you a short, simple explanation. I think the meaning of the two words is really basically the same. They really do kind of mean the same thing, but... They're used to convey an expanded meaning. If you look at the word ensample, it has the prefix en. En means in. Uh, if you look at example, you see that that prefix is ex, meaning out. So the word ensample refers to a pattern or a sample in a group like the Israelites, or in this case, the church. And uh, then if you were, use the word example, that's used to refer to a pattern or sample to those without. Okay? 
those who are not a part of the church. And so uh, there are examples for us who are in the church, that's end samples, and there's examples for those who are without. Now, of course, we want the pastors in a church to be perfect and righteous 100% of the time. An end sample to the flock means something that you can imitate. So that means when we fall short, we need to be the samples or the patterns in that too. Uh, meaning, if I mess up, then I set the end sample of being quick to repent. Meaning, when I fall short of the righteous standard, I should be honest enough to admit it. But it's an end sample. Again, it's in versus out. Okay? That's the difference. That brings us to the shepherd's crown. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, this is referring to rewards which we receive in heaven, described as crowns, and there are a number of them. Uh, we're going to give you four. If you count, there's many times you'll find five, and that's, uh, can be, that's fine because in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and 25, there is the incorruptible crown. That could be the fifth one, okay? But uh, there is the crown of rejoicing. You find that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now this is awarded to those who lead people to salvation and disciple them. And then there's the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So the one uh, is given to Christians who expect, uh, this one is given to Christians who expect that the Lord is coming back at any time, and they live with that in mind. They'll receive a crown of righteousness. And then there's the crown of life. Find that in James chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And his reward is given to those who endure to the end. So Jesus told the people in the church of Smyrna, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so uh, those are... Uh, Three, or if you want to include the incorruptible crown of 1 Corinthians 9, that would be four. But lastly, here in verse 4, we have the crown of glory. And this is a reward for those who shepherd the flock of God and do it well. Christ's return is referring uh, to the chief shepherd. Uh, the implication is that his return is impending. And so a pastor who diligently pastors his flock and is a proper example can look forward to a crown of glory at the judgment seat of Christ someday. And we must be aware that someday we're going to give an account to the chief shepherd and how, they, how we discharge the great responsibility of shepherding. Crown of glory is promised. That brings us... Crown of glory, that's in verse 4. That brings us to the shepherd's ministry. 
Look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, Peter's opening it up to those beyond the elders, especially young men, and we can include young women, who have a tendency to be rebellious in their youth. They're reminded to be subject to the elders. One fellow said, I was ashamed of my dad at the time when I went to college, and although he had made good money and he was an executive, I was still ashamed of him. He had such old-fashioned ideas. Uh, he was a real square. That's what they used to call uh, people like that. I don't know if they use that terminology anymore. But he said, when I finished college and got out into the business world, I didn't see him for a couple of years. And when I did see him again, I was absolutely amazed to see how much he had learned in six years. That's often the viewpoint of young people is that they know everything. But then they get in the real world and they find out, well, I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. Well, in reality, we were all young once, right? Some of us uh, have to remember way back to that, but uh, uh, we were all young at once. Uh, but with age comes wisdom. Well, I would say, and that's a, probably a good saying, but I would say there's something else that needs to be in there, and that is with age and years with the Lord comes wisdom. So here's what his instructions are. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Peter says, everybody is to be humble toward one another. How many times have we seen this command in the Bible? Humble. It literally means keep your heart and mind low-lying, close to the ground. Instead, most of us continue to consider ourselves the most important person in the universe. The universe revolves around me. It's all about my rights, my position, my standards, my comfort. Well, that's just nothing but pride. And God is opposed to the proud. And Peter reminds us to be, and he quotes Psalm 3, verse 34, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly. Secondly, we're to cast our care. Casting your care. In verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, all of this leads us to the reminder that when we humble ourselves before God, we can trust that anything that happens to us is exactly what's supposed to be happening. You see, God has plans to exalt us, but maybe not today. Uh, so we should stop stressing about it. It may not be today, but God's got a plan to exalt us. And the anxiety that we often have, maybe of whatever it is, not finding a job, not, not these situations not working out like we thought they should work out, it all boils down to a lack of humility before God or pride. And realistically, how can you rid yourself of the anxiety and cast it on him? Well, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing, 
But by, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That's the plan. And when we recognize that, and we recognize that we're being anxious, then we need to commit to do three things. First of all, go to prayer. The word prayer means a devotional, worshipful communication with God. Talk to God about what he means to you. Worship him and adore him in prayer. Secondly, make requests. The word supplication means to make a request. Let God know what you're concerned about. Talk to him about your needs. And then thirdly, give thanks. Thanksgiving is the giving of thanks. Thank God in the midst of your circumstances. Thank him for using the situation to draw you to him. So praying, requesting, and giving thanks will result in a freedom from anxiety as the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. Now, are you ready for the little twist? My conclusion here. I just want you to consider this. We've looked at the office of the pastor, and rightly so. I believe uh, that's not a wrong interpretation at all. But let's consider whether or not what be, it might be uh, meant uh, is that the local church is made up of what? Older people and younger people. Uh, what if Peter was really sucked when he said elder? He wasn't necessarily talking about the pastor. Because then in verse uh, 5, he says, likewise, ye younger. So there's a possibility here he was talking about older people and younger people. The older saints, not just the pastor, but all those who are older in their years, and I don't know what the line is there, okay? I don't know if it's 50, or if it's 60, or if it's 70, or 80. I, it's just they're older, right? Uh, some of us, think we feel older, and we're not as old as we feel. But sometimes, you know, uh, we ought to be an example, or an end sample, to the younger, and the younger should be submissive and respectful to those who are older in the Lord. Uh, many older saints are not given uh, good examples. They're not, be, they're not given those uh, samples of, of godliness. And many younger people are not listening to the older people. And I believe this can also be the teaching that the Lord is giving through this passage. Sometimes we look at verses 1 through uh, 4 and we say, well, that's just for pastors. I believe it's for older saints in the church as well as those who lead their families, whether it's a, a dad who leads his children or a, a grandfather who leads his children and grandchildren. We should be good older folks that give good examples. And the younger folks should be those who are listening and be respectful. And all of us, need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
Get away, rid of that pride. Older folks, we say, well, you better listen to us, young people, because we've been through it all. We know. Well, sometimes we don't always know as we should. And the younger people say, oh, you don't know anything. We know it all. So this is my little viewpoint here of what this possibly could mean more than just pastors and younger people. Okay? I hope that makes sense to you. It made sense to me. But uh, I think it's uh, what the Lord would have us to, to look at uh, even in this passage.